Hello and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm Hannah Harley-Young, a photographer by trade and a foodie at heart. Each week I sit down and chat all things food with well-known foodies, industry insiders, chefs, critics and people who just love their food. Today I'm joined by the beautiful and inspiring Jada Cesar. Jada started her career in the modelling world and slowly made her name as a prominent face representing plus-size models. As her career started to soar, she studied at university and went on to get an MA in child psychology. She really isn't just a pretty face. In recent years, she has established herself as a spokeswoman for mental health, body positivity and is now an ambassador for UN Women. Is there anything this lady can't do? It's a pleasure to have one of my closest friends and inspirations on today. Jada, thank you so much for joining me. That was a really nice intro. Thanks, Han. I was actually, you know, I had a guest on the other day and they said that it's so lovely to have someone else write their bio for them. Because I think as creatives and as sort of someone owning your own business, it's very difficult to write something wonderful about yourself I mean it's always hard to reflect on what you've done and then you know sell yourself I don't think it's something that we're conditioned to do much of absolutely so thanks for bigging me up it's all right always rely on me (laughs) so I always ask my guests what did you have for well we are recording in the afternoon what did you have for your breakfast and lunch today okay well you know exactly what I had (laughs) because I cooked you some food um I skipped breakfast and had brunch brunch is my favorite day favorite day favorite god this is the food hub and digestive it's my brain yet um brunch is my favorite meal of the day and we had some smoked salmon rye bread with smashed avo and some scrambled eggs basically the best meal in the world So obviously I've mentioned some of your many talents. Uh, You sort of went from studying child psychology to modeling to mental mental health advocacy. How do you manage all of this day to day? Because what you're tackling, they're quite sort of, they're not surface level issues, so to speak. Well, we're in my house currently and in my bedroom (laughs) is a massive whiteboard on the wall, which has everything that goes on in my head that I literally have to splurge out onto something that I can see that's not stuck in my mind Uh, to be honest I don't manage it um I think I just a lot of my career has been built off you know being in the moment um and my mental health advocacy it just came about because I studied like you said a master's in child psychology but then I went on to talk about self-development quite heavily And at that point in my career, I was starting out as a plus size model and spoke about confidence and self-esteem and the tips I was sharing were things I was learning to practice myself. So when I kind of, you know, built up six, seven years of talking about owning your body and um, learning about how to take care of your mind and not having um, that comparison uh, thing that we can all get into that could be really destructive. These were just things I was thinking. But where did that confidence come from? So you and I are obviously of similar age. And when I was growing up as a curvy girl, I didn't, what I lacked was confidence in myself. Like I didn't own the way that I looked. And that was a huge struggle for me growing up and something that I've had to deal with even as an adult. But where was that coming from? Because I wish I had what you had. I mean, I think first of all, just to think, just to say, people 
think of confidence as like this end goal that we're going to get to, this fixed position that when we get there, everything else is going to fade away and we're going to live in the land of bliss. But actually, I think confidence is completely like the peaks and troughs. Like some days I feel really confident, other days I'm like, oh, I just, I'm having a crappy day. And there's usually reason why. I probably not slept or I haven't eaten enough or I probably tired um from all the heavy workload that i've had on that week so there's always a reason but we go to our default of whatever that um thing in our head that niggles away at us which is our biggest insecurity which might be i feel fat i look disgusting and uh, you know inwardly attacking our appearance is easy if also we've bombarded with narratives that you should be skin skinny to be um, and thin to be happy and be beautiful um, and more successful and more popular when that's just simply not true. Mm. Um, and I grew up in a family that I say this many, many times before where we didn't have magazines. We didn't have um, any uh, kind of pressure on being beautiful. It wasn't about that. My dad, you know, I'd enrolled me to play the violin and I like to paint. Like in my house right now, you can see there's like an easel and some paints and there's another picture. Just add a, adding another string to her, her bow, Which is her a, violin bow. Oh, literally. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just that type of stuff is what gave me confidence because it was about my skill set. And from that, I gained even more confidence when I had the camaraderie of being a part of a team. Um, and that kind of confidence isn't fickle and it can't be replaced because it's about you and who you are and your skill set which is so unique that is driven by your unique talent that I kind of was always um in competition with is that true or is it you know being beautiful and equal success because I'm seeing that happen time and time again you know the pretty girl wins the prince um it's in our fairy tales it's on our screens like the girl that you know gets with a rich successful man is the beautiful model those are so for me and now I think are quite outdated because we're getting a bit more school like clued up but um back in the day you might not even realize it but those nuances have happened around you looking at the pop stars Mm. who was the most current they were blonde Britney Spears Mm. or so do you you think the narrative of our childhood has kind of reached its sell-by date now you know, we, we don't, you know, even not, not even on just a level with, you know, the, the blonde princess finds her knight in shining armor. But now it's maybe the blonde princess meets her future wife. Maybe exactly. the prin- maybe the prince charming meets his husband. You know, look, you watch you watch. Yeah, we're seeing way more representation, but you'll watch shows like Girls and actually the like pretty one in the group isn't the smartest she's actually a bit ditzy and she has like the the worst relationships and then you see lena dunham who as the main character isn't you know quintessentially what we would see as like the main character yeah but she's also like the one that i'd probably want to be most like absolutely and so i think if we don't see it we don't know we can be it and i there's more of that that's happened now because we'll challenge it now we'll get on twitter and tell Mm. a production company like this isn't right or that brand you're not representing us. And so we're not going to shop there. Um, we have that, uh, you know, ability to communicate directly to people and brands and, and people in power. Whereas before it was like them and us. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, growing up, I didn't think about that at all. I just kind of like, you know, you're a kid, you just figure it out and 
don't really acknowledge any of those nuances that happen well I guess also I mean we didn't really have those I mean and I and I thank God for this but we didn't have those platforms as young kids and teenagers you know Facebook Mm -hmm. for me I don't know about you but came about when I was about 16 forget about Instagram you know we're talking you know provincial Facebook Mm. but I just and I want to come back to the social media conversation in a second but you were talking about your background and your family what was your background because your your father was Turkish right so what was he he was instilling obviously a very strong sort of ethic Mm. confidence is that where you feel like you've really got your nature from yeah definitely like sometimes I say something I'm like god I sound like my dad (laughs) <laughs> he would be like, I, you know, I, I will buy you golden bracelets of education. And, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, what? So does that mean I get the bracelet or what does that mean? You know, I don't want the education. I don't want, yeah, but he would really, um, I don't know, maybe it's something to do with being a, a somewhat of an immigrant coming to London, setting up a business and figuring it out that he really valued education and learning and working away up the ranks. He would say, and he had high standards, but not in a way that felt pressured, but he was like, be the best of whatever you want to be. And so when I said I wanted to be a child psychotherapist and go on and do my doctorate, he was like, okay, can you get this all done in a year? And I was like, <laughs> wait, you understand like the master's is like two years, like doctorate, like a, a million years. you know years. what, that's such a, because <laughs> I'm half Iranian, as you know, and that's such, that's so typical of that part of the world. They're like, so how quickly can you do this? And uh, um, what's going to what's going to happen next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like when you become a doctor, like he's like, okay, so you know we'll get you your own private practice, and you will have your <laughs> your you know you can bring in your. He didn't know about like branding or anything, yeah. but that's what he was saying is that you be the like CEO of your own company. Like that's the kind of girl he raised us to and be. And what if you sort of came back from days at school and maybe you hadn't had a good day at school? Maybe I don't know. You know what girls are like. A girl could have been mean to you. What was his approach to you if some days weren't as happy Mm. as others? It's funny because he was the kind of man that would say something without saying it. So it would just be the little things like, okay, let's go for a drive to, I don't know, the Tate Modern. And he knew he was into poetry. And so he would take me to just creatively write, creative writing. That's how I figured out what that meant. And, you know, we'd just go for a long drive. And that would get me out of my head and take the pressure off of that little social group that I was Mm. in. Because actually the world is so much bigger and greater and there's so much more to explore than this little moment, which is probably fueled with, oh, you're not wearing the right trainers. And actually so significant. Like my boyfriend, like none of that matters when, you know, you'd have these conversations about incredible artists and poets and authors that, you know, uh, you know, my dad would book us tickets to go and see the spring proms in, um, with the Philharmonic Orchestra at the Royal Albert Hall and I would bunk it and he'd be so upset because all he wanted to do was, you know, culturally make me more um, aware of these things. But I'd be like, oh, lame, so boring. I don't want to watch a Philharmonic Orchestra. Who Tip- I mean, like, typical teenager, teenager right? You know, but it was the fact that that was there and he was yeah. present and he wanted it because he saw what I loved and wanted to share mm. a little bit of that with and me. And he was opening a world to you that yeah. was beyond the confines of school and friendships. Yeah. And or like even just, you know, my school, my secondary school was maybe a, a seven, eight minute walk from my house, a one minute walk drive. He would still drop me off in the car every morning <laughs> love that. and give me a kiss on my forehead. And to a point where I'd be like, oh, for God's sake, like I'm the worst grump in the morning. I'm like, don't talk to me. 
I can't even bear you right now. But he'd still grab my forehead and give it a kiss and be like, have a good day and make me walk in. And it's just those little things that give you confidence because you're always accepted mm. no matter what you're going through. And it's just feeling loved yeah. that gave me the baseline of what I wanted my other relationships to be. So when I didn't, when I wasn't appreciated like that in my romantic relationships growing up, which, you know, I am now very happy in my relationship. But before, you know, there was a few frogs that I had to kiss and not only kiss, but maybe get into serious relationships with and not be treated like that. Yeah. And so that's when you have to realize, how did I get there? What does this mean? Which boundaries did I let go of? Um, and I think self-development is incredibly helpful and important to everyone because we're all on that journey. You're never going to be born with like the most um, conscious ability to know everything. These are skills. Yeah, these are skills. Learn along the way. Absolutely. And sort of just to bring it back to, to the food as much as I'm sort of like mesmerized by you talking. Your father was Turkish. Your mother is Spanish, but born and raised in England. So very British but heritage Spanish. Okay, so what was what were you eating growing up? And, you know, who was cooking? What were the influences in the house? So we ate a lot of Turkish food, as my you favorite. can imagine. Yeah, my mum would make... It was really interesting, because my mum could also make, like, traditional British dishes. Like, we'd have a Sunday roast on a Sunday, um, or, like, a shepherd's pie, and things like that, very British English, quintessentially English dishes, but then equally we could have maybe a spaghetti bolognese or some fish and some vegetables um, or a paella. Oh, I love paella. But Turkish food would probably be incorporated And was your dad making the Turkish food? So it's interesting. My dad had a restaurant, so he would cook all day. And so my mum did most of the cooking at home. But my dad was the man that you'd rope in when you hadn't gone food shopping. So you have all these like, random bits in your fridge and he would whip it up into a really yummy dish and his thing was if you cook from the heart it will taste good couldn't agree more yeah you know when a meal has been made with love Mm. and you equally know when a when a meal has not been made with love yeah (laughs) it's that energy you're like this tastes bad and so growing up do you feel like food played a big part of your life you know were you was it a sort of a family thing would you sit down for meals was it of importance Yes and no. There would be times where we would all have meals together. Um, You know, like I said, with my dad whipping up a meal, that was a moment that I do remember. He loved his um, baklava, so we'd have that. I didn't really like it, and I'd say to him, Did he ever make that from scratch? Uh, I think my mum did. I've got, I'm one of four, so my older sister's got all the luxury of all the yummy. home cooked food that time allowed you to make yeah. we didn't me and my little brother <laughs> um but i'm sure i think my mum did i mean she probably could cook it now if i asked her to and nowadays do you cook yes again it's i i do enjoy cooking um not only for other people but i really enjoy it cooking for myself which is something that i think we take for granted completely like you know why not indulge in cooking a really nice meal for you I will cook with Netflix on my yeah. laptop and whilst I'm watching the documentary, I'm chopping away for just my little meal. And it makes me feel nice. But I think, and I, and I was actually saying this to somebody the other day, it's actually the process of making a meal that I actually enjoy sometimes more than eating mm. it. They always say whenever you've made the meal, you never really enjoy it as much as your your guests do. 
but the actual process of starting from scratch and making something mm. I really really enjoy I find it quite therapeutic mm. I, it's like you're saying you you listen to Netflix I also um you watch Netflix I listen to podcasts yeah me too and I just sort of go into my own world and then by the end you have this amazing dish yeah that so it's like it's like <laughs> a it's a win-win agreed agreed I love and again I also love hosting so I'm happy to cook when everyone comes around but equally when my life gets really busy I will I don't mind not bothering with cooking um I don't have like a love hate relationship with it where I'm attached to one thing um or it's like one relationship with food it just is what it is and I think that's always given me a healthy relationship with it because it's it's just a part of life like we all need it Mm -hmm. like stating the obvious so it shouldn't be deemed as like good or bad it's you know I always think about the language that I use around food and you know one of my sisters has a junk cupboard for the kids and I'm like you shouldn't really call it that because then that makes it sound naughty and then you're being cheeky and there's all these emotions attached to going in and there you're doing something wrong yeah, if you go in there not that you know there's so many great memories people have with food um but I don't know I just try to avoid it because I don't like those attachments and also I don't feel like you know we often see food as a vacuum like it's one thing but actually it's so many different things for different people in different cultures even but you've got to think what do you want your relationship with food to be and you know at birthdays and occasions it's definitely something that is enjoyed um and you know food can set a tone and I think as long as it's not harming you in any way then go with that so um you know I have a box of chocolates down there and like that's where all the you know my boy she has a box of me. chocolates and this is the first time she's mentioned it and i've been here for two hours wait and biscuits <laughs> yeah because hannah's always like no i can't eat that i'm much more lenient these days oh good oh well in that case don't let, don't i'm gonna go and get the treat oh god she's actually she is legit going into a cupboard we're not gonna call it oh god, oh my god what are those galaxy oh god. no what are they Okay, hold on. I've actually seen these galaxy truffles for in the. I need to try. Like this is all. And I don't even bring this chocolate. This oh is my god! If you so all, I need. To, I'm going to take a little photo of this. This is hilarious. She's even got a Willy Wonka white raspberry popping candy. Yeah, I got given that at a oh, film premiere. Fabulous. And I've kept that. And we've got some kind bars, and we've got some healthy snacks in there yeah, too. Yeah, no, mix but it that's up. If you ever feel like you want something, I might sweet. have a little something in a minute. Yeah. So you, when you got into modeling, was it something that you'd always wanted to do or was it, how did you get to that point? Definitely not anything I wanted to do. (laughs) Definitely did not think I'd be doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. It was a whole new world. Cause you know, I told you that we didn't read magazines and there was never public figures or models that I looked at and aspired to be like, so yeah, I didn't realise that, that was it. I just basically started, you know, I was doing my master's and there was a lot of young people that I was working with that had eating disorders and body dysmorphia. And again, coming from the family that I described to you earlier, I felt that it wasn't fair, the narrative that we had seen of what people should be like and why these particular people, like girls, felt that pressure so hard. 
obviously there were so many other reasons like you know some came from really dysfunctional families and they didn't have other anchors in their life but the kind of work and intervention that I was doing as a student I was you know doing my best whilst I'm on placement and whatnot but then I'd go away and think well what else can I do so then I just started creating images and putting them on Instagram of just you know seeing people differently and so by that what I mean is I would take uh I would style myself um and get my friend who was a photographer to take pictures of me so this was this must have been right when Instagram was in its first sort of formative years. This was when it just launched, and this was before bloggers. What I had known I was doing was I was almost a bit of a blogger. Mm-hmm. So I'd take pictures of me, which you know everyone does it now, but it was such a new concept mm. before. But I would do it with a an editorial photographer, and I would rip out. This was the first time I bought Vogue magazines. I would rip it out and create mood boards, which I didn't realize I was doing. I was just look putting putting pictures together that I liked. It's called mood boarding. Who knew? And you were so ahead of your time. God, I was doing a lot that, you know, my boyfriend tells me now, you are a producer through and through. Yeah. And I didn't realise I was producing my own shoots. Um, by that, it sounds really glamorous. I mean, doing my own hair and makeup in Starbucks, <laughs> bringing along a photographer that I'd convinced that these pictures were going to look good. And then I would post them up online and a few of my images went viral and took off. Um, on Instagram, and then I was asked to be the face of the first ever plus size show during London Fashion Week. But what I'm trying to get at is, so you you have these photos taken, you put them on Instagram, social media, blog, whatever you want to call it. You must have had, like, an idea or, like, in, incredible confidence to do that because that sort of stuff, as you said, we weren't doing that in those days. We weren't, there was no word selfie that yeah. had, that that term hadn't been coined by that point. So what was it that sort of really got you going by doing that? You know, what did your yeah. friends think of what you were doing? Um, you know, when you're going from doing one thing and people see you in, see you in one way as quite an academic um, in the psychology space to then being like, I'm going to a shoot and I'm a model. You know, I'm not actually a model. So I didn't even really believe it myself. But... I was seeing the reaction this was having through the comments of people being like, whoa, I've never seen anyone that looked like me, like look like that or wear that or, you know, love themselves the way that you love yourself. I would have captions like I still do now that are basically challenging the stories that we've been told about ourselves um, that were appropriate for that time. And I guess it was just new. And to be honest, it wasn't just me doing it. There were a handful of other plus size models that were plus size models, really established girls like Ashley Graham and Candice Huffman, um, that, but they all lived in America. Was that on your radar, plus size modeling? Did you understand it? Did you, I mean, obviously you're mentioning these names who are all incredible women. Um, I've actually worked with Ashley before. Was plus size modeling at that time, was that when it was really becoming a thing? Was it sort of reaching its biting point, so to speak? No, not at all. It hadn't even been a thing. No one even knew what plus size models were, really. Like I said, there was a handful in New York and I only came across them because of, you know, I started to get more and more into that space. And maybe it was even like a year into my career because I was creating images for a while before I got picked up it it would have been about two two years Mm. um that I was just doing my own thing and had built up a social media following 
And then I got scouted two years into that. And then when I got signed with my first agent, they told me I was gonna be a plus size model. But before that, I never knew that's what I was gonna be or what I was doing or the category I was gonna be pigeonholed in. And then I started to research, okay, what is a plus size model? In the fashion industry, it's any girl from a size 12 upwards. Wow. Which is ludicrous. So I was just about to ask you, what? how do you feel about the term plus size modeling, plus size model? It's changed actually. Uh, in the beginning, I remember when I was told, I was like, huh? I'm doing the job like everybody else. So I don't really get this, <laughs> but okay. And then I ran with it and I created a Facebook page that said Jada says a plus size model. And I kind of owned it because I thought this is a label that a lot of girls are going to feel horrible being placed into or horrible having to walk into the corner of a tight of a store in this tiny little horrible like basic section with no variety of plus size clothes. So you almost feel like the second four all the time or the person that's less than everyone else. And I thought, well, let's reframe that. And so I claimed it and, you know, became a plus size model. And I think now, I think now it's changed. Plus size is a word that I think people are like, yeah, and what? Mm. So we see a lot of plus size girls all the time, whether you're a blogger, a vlogger or a model. And so now I just say I'm a model because that's the job I, I think do. I think the walls have definitely broken down since then yeah i think that the term is a little bit dated now yeah yeah i think i think in the world that we live in and what everyone especially you is trying to promote i don't think it has as much of a place as it used to yeah. um as you said it you it, it was put there to let people know that you were a model of a size 12 which i can't believe is considered plus size upwards yeah, and it's weird because you get a size 12 model in the fashion world, you think that's a plus size model, but actually the range starts at a size 18, yeah. which is drastically different. Mm. And then the average girl in the UK is a size 16. So really you're actually going, a plus size model is actually smaller than the average size, which is really detrimental when you've got a plus size model, AKA a size 12 girl modeling fashion that starts from a size 18 you're not being representative of the client and the customer so you're making them feel crap because they're seeing girls that don't look like them so it's not representative it's not reflective and it's not even an ideal that anyone wants to try and be it's like something that really irritates me is being um a slightly larger busted woman i don't like looking at photos of women modeling what is meant to be a lingerie brand specifically for larger busts, but she is a B cup because that's not representative of what one, who you are as a lingerie brand and two, what that bra is gonna look like on me. Mm -hmm. You know, that yeah. really frustrates me. You just can't see yourself wearing it. No, of course not. When this was all, everything was going on, you started getting quite a lot of traction on social media. When did you realize you were kind of onto something and started running with it? I guess when people started saying they'd pay me <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, huh? I just talk about what I like and you want to pay me to do it. And then that's when I started to think, okay, I need to, well, I guess the modeling was, I mean, I would always have my social media content being produced consistently whilst I was building up my modeling career. 
and my followers grew, but I didn't focus on them growing. They just sort of came along for the ride. It was only when brands started to come on board and say, we'll pay you to advertise on our, on your social media platforms that I thought, oh, okay, I can make a business out of this that isn't reliant upon other people being the gatekeepers. For example, brands saying they want to work with me or casting directors booking me or my agent even letting me get in the room. And that's when I decided this is what I want to do more of, not just creating a platform so I can advertise on it for more money, but do more of my own thing and be a visionary in that space. Because people take so long to, not people, but brands take so long to catch up. So I'd walk in on set and in the very beginning, I had to get my head around this because like, on a, I was once on a photo shoot and I was like, you know, I'm a size 16. I wouldn't really wear this dress without maybe a belt to show my waist or maybe I'd put on like a leather jacket rather than this like frumpy coat. And they were like, you're just the model. And you have like, no voice. Yeah, and then you're like, okay, and you have no vision. Like, you don't wow. realise that actually plus-size girls just want to wear what everyone else is wearing. Absolutely. That's it. Yeah. And so that's when I realised, okay, do more of what I'm doing because not only is it the, the general public love it and are following me and being a part of it, but also now brands want to pay for my vision. So I do have something special. Mm. Do you think the idea of the put, I say perfect in inverted commas, the idea of the perfect female body has changed. I think our idea of what perfection looks like has changed. Um, because I think people are questioning what perfection really means. Um, you know, with the massive conversation around mental health, I think, uh, well, I hope maybe I'm just stuck in my little echo chamber, but you know, I don't want to be the prettiest girl in the room, but I want to be mentally stable. And, you know, I put up this quote the other day. I was like, you know, he might be hot, but is he good for your mental health? Mm. And that's kind of what I'm about. And I think a lot of people care about more is like what goes on in your head. Because some of the prettiest people I've met are some of the saddest. Absolutely. And, you know, that can lead and to- And that shines out from someone. You know, if you're unhappy- you can see that on someone. Yeah. If you're, if you're sad, if you're depressed, if I, you know, for me as a photographer, I know it sounds cliche, but I see it in the eyes. I see it in my friends. I can tell most of my friends before they've even opened their mouths when I meet up with them, if something's wrong or not. Yeah. Because it, the face tells a thousand words. And if yeah. things aren't good on the inside, then they ain't going to be good on the out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. Do you feel like we are sort of, you know, obviously we're not striving necessarily for perfection, but I think what something you really stand for is that we really want to be in this very inclusive society. Do you think we're on our way to that? Do you think that there are a lot of hindrances going on at the moment? We are moving in that direction. What was I watching just last night on Apple TV? It was all about how far we've come with um, having more, uh, homosexual and transgender people on screen you know back in the 60s 70s it was you know demonizing them actually they were the people that you know were often written to be the criminals mm. or the offenders or like you know bad people and now it's you know you watch sex education and one of my favorite characters is eric who is just the most a gay, amazing like person. incredible like <laughs> colorful person 
And, um, you know, I back think in the day, that think he's one written. of the best characters written over the past yeah. couple of years in any yeah. TV show. I just think he's brilliant. Yeah. And Do I you know what, that. actually, that show, I think, has really succeeded in identifying what has been missing in culture in terms of TV in particular, obviously, mm. um, and has really shed light on the reality of what it's like growing up whether you be a teenager, whether you be a young adult, whether you be in, you know, middle-aged, mm. things are changing. Yeah, it's a very, very clever piece of work. And I've learned so much about sex from it. <laughs> so <have> I. <laughs> yeah, they just break it down. It really down, is sex education. It is, but not in a way that is um, preachy or like your teacher telling you that mm. and delivering it to you in a way that feels really clinical is it's funny and it's what we go through Absolutely. and those awkward moments when you lose your virginity and seeing that on screen the parts that you cringe at in your own life is actually really um, like alleviates a lot of totally. like shame that can be attached Absolutely. so in the world of modeling and you know obviously you've been doing it for a few years now what has your relationship with exercise and nutrition been like i feel like i've always been consistent I've never lost weight. I've never put on weight unless it's been, you know, because I don't know, I've trained for a marathon and then I put on weight because I got so muscly and heavy because I was, and I was eating a lot of food because I was training so much. But, um, I, you know, I was told, you know, maybe if you lost some weight, you might get more clients. And then maybe three months later told, maybe you should put on some weight because you could get more clients. Well, this is and what I don't understand. Like if someone's saying to you, they, they've put you in the bracket of plus size modeling, and then they're saying to you, oh no, maybe you should lose some weight. Like, what What do they want? What does, that, does anyone know what they want? And I've always been a size 16 and I've never changed. Um, and so having that, that kind of backbone of knowing that people will love you and hate you and trends change and what people want to book changes, but I'm just going to be me, was really hard, especially when I moved to New York and I was broke and I needed money. Um, so I was contemplating maybe, you know, considering maybe that is right. Maybe that's true. Maybe I should change. But when there were so many conflicting messages of maybe you should dye your hair like this, or maybe you should, um, you know, paint your eyebrows like that, or, you know, maybe you should, um, only walk in, not maybe they said you should only, only come into this office if you've got heels on and you've got this kind of Celine handbag. And then this is when I thought you go, this whole industry is built on something that's extremely fickle and is constantly changing. And people's ideals of beauty is constantly changing. So all you can be is yourself. Otherwise you'll become this diluted version and you won't even know who you are. And, and you can't sustain, you can't sustain this person you're creating. No. And then somebody else's opinion is going to come along and say, actually, we want a blonde girl. And then you're like, shit, you can't be everything. Mm. You can't please everybody. Mm. And so health and nutrition kind of was reinforced then to just love my body, take care of my body, respect my body. Um, don't get me wrong. I'd go out and have a few drinks on a weekend and maybe order a pizza. And, and that's cool and fine too. But generally... It's always about like, what do I need? Because if I feed it right, then it will work better for me. So I've always had that in mind. Um, and then I guess when I started to do these crazy fitness challenges. Well, you did actually mention the marathon, which is something that I wanted to talk to you about because I don't know if many people know this. I know she does, but Jada is one of, if not the main reason 
why I decided to run the marathon last year. So um, I sort of, I want to thank you and also slap you as well at the same time. So you ran the marathon in 2018 and you ran it in your underwear. What was the message behind that? Well, again, everything that I've done that's been really great and successful has always been accidental. So... (laughs) I met... A she lost co- her clothes. <laughs> yeah, oops. <laughs> Headlines. Um, I met a woman called Bryony Gordon on a press trip and her and I bonded over a table of sports bras because we we're both two top heavy women. And she had told me she ran a marathon the year before and I was like, wow, that's really cool. You know, people... It's often on a lot of people's bucket lists. I have never run a marathon. I actually didn't even know how far a marathon was. I, I was not a runner either, bear in mind. I actually had never gone for a run. Um, and then I basically was signed up to one the next week. And the week after that, she said, okay, we're training for this marathon. Come along and do a half marathon with me. And I was like, sure. How far can, you know, 15 or well, 13.5 miles be? You know, I had no concept of distance mm. or how far you'd have, how long you'd have to be on your feet for. But I knew your mind can take you anywhere. You can do it. And so I just thought I'm going to put myself out there. And you know what will be exciting is if I hit a wall at some point, what will that bring up for me? I was interested in getting to that, those shadows in my brain. Yeah. Because I'm like, what am I going to do? Am I going to break down? I'm going to start crying. Or is that going to kick in some like turbocharger resilience that I don't even know I have, which, you know, would be the ideal. And so, um, yeah, I just signed up and I did it. And I did one training run before that where I ran six miles with a group called Run Them Crew. Run Them Crew. They were brilliant. And um, and then that's when the journey started. And we decided to do it in our marathon on one of our training runs a few months after that when we said, you know, our bodies look quite great in um, leggings and sportswear. But it doesn't really show the reality of like what we look like. So why not have our rolls and lumps and bumps and cellulite on show for everyone to see, but also know that we're still running that marathon, even with that kind of body. And so that's when we decided to whip off our clothes. I just think it's incredible. (laughs) Honestly, I mean, you do these things and I'm just like... I just love her. Oh, <laughs> no, I love because you, too. you know and you what? Ran it. But it takes a certain. No, but listen. There's a there's one thing running a marathon. There's another thing running a marathon in your underwear. I mean, I could uh, listen. Jada was there for me at mile twenty two at the marathon last year. I don't even remember seeing her because I'd hit the wall, and all I have is photographic evidence of me sobbing into your shoulder. But it's you know you undertake these challenges because obviously you know primarily you're doing it for yourself but you're also showing people that you don't need to be an athlete to run a marathon anyone can go and do these things don't feel like you're marginalized because of your fitness levels the way you look the way you feel about yourself and I and I think we need more of that. Yeah, yeah. And fitness can look like one thing. I Yesterday, this show that I was just talking about, that I was watching, somebody said that the only way we could see ourselves is if we wrote our own stories. And so this was uh, two sisters that are incredible producers that I can't remember the names of, but they that really struck a chord with me because I thought, that's what we have to just do. And we have all the tools and means to do it with YouTube and Instagram stories and Facebook watch and all of that. Well, we can just create our own narratives and why not show us what fitness can look like you know if it's not been seen before and it's making us feel bad about our bodies we touched on your sort of 
exercise and nutrition are you particularly strict on what you eat or do you tend to keep a sort of healthy-ish diet have you seen the box in front well, of i know us? I'm, I'm trying to not look at the galaxy truffles jada <laughs> <laughs> um I, I mean i wouldn't say strict because i hate feeling restricted but i would say i'm mindful um i try to have a nutritious diet so i'm not tired or feeling ill like right now i think i've come down with a cold because I've just not had any time to cook yeah. and um, have been picking up things on the go. And yes, you can pick up healthy options, but essentially it's not going to be as good as what you can cook in your house. And so, yeah, I feel, I'm feeling a bit run down at the moment. That's why I'll go for a nutritious option over eating fast food. But then I also don't um, punish myself if I eat out and I get the burger. That's fine too. Like and I love, you know, my boyfriend loves it when I like bake a cake. Yeah. And I quite like it too, on a Sunday. It's so cozy. Yeah. Do you know what I love about baking? Aside from also, we were talking about cooking meals. There's something quite sort of scientific about baking. Because with baking, you obviously have to strictly follow a recipe. You've got to get your measurements right. Otherwise, your cake's not going to rise or this is not going to happen or whatever. Because with when you're, when you're cooking a meal, you can kind of add your own touches. Oh, I want a bit more spice. I want a bit more salt. I want a bit more whatever. But with baking, you've really got to stick to it uh-huh. to create the finished product. And the, again, something quite cathartic about that process. That's what I hate because my cakes often come out <laughs> like bread. Because I'm like, no, that's way too much sugar. You don't need that. Or that's way too much flour. You're just trying to do your creative flair. I know. That's why I prefer cooking. So I'm like, mm, a little bit of paprika <laughs> and a little bit more thyme, whatever works. When you do find yourself going out to eat, where are some of your favorite restaurants to eat at? Ooh, favorite restaurants. I love Japanese food. And I, I mean, I'm somebody that often doesn't like to go... I don't like to go back on myself and I don't like to do the same thing twice. Hence why when I was asked to do the marathon again, I was like, hell no. <laughs> but... Can we share that in common? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> you, oh yeah. <laughs> but I, um, you know, one of my little locals is Eno's. That's a really great place in Portobello for some good sushi. Um, I mean, I do love Sushi Samba as well for their Peruvian, Japanese, like Asian infusion. I'm into that love that. but i still feel like there's so many places that i want to explore do you eat much turkish food out it's tyson's favorite dip like favorite cuisine really yeah so you know that there's a turkish restaurant that was awarded the best turkish place in london and it's in islington and i'm desperate to What's go it called? it's called le man that does sound it's so behind upper street i actually i think we should go should we go yeah let's do that okay because deal. i've been i've been wanting to go but i don't just want to go just like me and leo i want like to go as yeah, a group yeah i would totally be down yeah. i love turkish food Same. but i'm like you know i i um okay my two favorite cuisines are like japanese and then i love like caribbean food oh. so uh, yeah they're my go-tos okay. but his is turkish so we have to go and check that okay out. cool we'll do that so I just wanted to go back to uh, the, the subject of social media. What are your thoughts on social media playing a role in giving young girls an unrealistic vision of what it is to be beautiful? Because now we live in Instagram culture. We live in filtered realities. Are you concerned about the direction it's heading in? I see most of these apps as tools. I don't see them as good or bad. I see them as like a hammer. You can build a house or you can destroy one. It's what we do with it. And unfortunately, 
they've been created and we haven't been given a guidebook or a manual on how to use them. So we're figuring it out as we go. And as long as things are inspirational to you and inspirational doesn't have to be aspirational, it can be interesting or energizing in a way that just enlights something within yourself and ignites a passion that you've always had. Um, as long as you get that feeling when you're consuming the content online, continue to do so. But whenever it starts to become destructive, stop and be mindful. Scroll mindfully. We scroll to, you know, we get lost in, in the scroll and we need to stop that because that's when it becomes a problem. Because um, you don't realize what's going into your subconscious and when those comparisons can just seep in. Yeah, so I just stop myself. Obviously with your modeling and, you know, having a public profile with this whole filtered reality we live in whether we like it or not how do you deal with yourself at times appearing filtered via other people or you know retouching photoshopping what what are your yeah. thoughts on that so i think as someone in the public eye and this isn't for everyone because you look at kim kardashian with over 160 million followers I have a sense of responsibility because I have a platform and I have people watching me and listening to me and influenced to some degree by what I have to say, which is why they tune back in day after day. And so there will be times where I will have a beautiful uh, curated image in a beautiful location. And then there will also be times where I'm talking about policy and change and advocacy work and post up on my Insta stories pictures of me just like waking up and just talking to camera without having everything constructed around me to look like an Insta-worthy home. Um, I think you have to show people all sides. And that doesn't mean overshare or not have any privacy. But seeing one version that is really always controlled isn't right. It isn't right. And that's where I think a disconnect comes. Because people only think that, you know, you are you know, you look on these Instagram pages and you've got women shooting outfit after outfit after outfit and they look exactly the same in every single shot with airbrushed faces and face-tuned bodies. And it's not true. I always want somebody to be able to stop me in the street and go, you're the girl from, you're that person. Absolutely. Whereas a lot of the time, the people in these Instagram, I've met them in real life and they don't look like don't, that. I can't even recognise them. You can't even recognise And that's where <laughs> the... Um, the difficulty comes because we think that that is our reality, but it's not. And I spoke to psychiatrist, Dr. Sarah Vora, when I was creating my mini documentary series for YouTube called Instant Fame and talking about the problems that occur from people that get thrown into the spotlight and don't know what to do with it. And also why we care to, you know, go on these reality TV shows. And she said, look up from your phone and does your feed look like the people in your real world they're not bikini clad models so therefore just know that you're in a little echo chamber that's what you're consuming but that's not the real world that's not what people look like so what i do is i make sure the people that i follow and also the content that comes up on my explore page that i double tap is more of what i want to see so if i can feel myself gravitating towards a really like you know, maybe a Victoria's Secret models behind the scenes. I stop myself from looking at it because I'm like, that's creating engagement for that video. And it's putting it in front of me yeah. on my plate. And it's tempting see. because I'm like, we all naturally are biologically um, 
built to be drawn to pretty things, whether it's a beautiful sunset or you know, a beautiful bouquet of flowers or art. We, you know, we're wired to appreciate that. But I think when it starts to become destructive because you're just seeing that, that's when I say no. And especially when it comes to our bodies and body types and objectifying women in those ways, I kind of, I'm like, okay, actually the algorithm is going to give me more of what I watch. So what do I want to actually be seeing more of? But does it kind of worry you that... You mentioned, for example, Kim Kardashian has over 160 million people following her on Instagram, which is a figure that I can't even comprehend, that 160 million people are looking at her posts on a daily basis, more, because some people are looking at her and don't even follow her. You know, you've got the Kardashians that created Kardashian culture. You've got shows like Love Island. You've got it's we're so inundated with this new concept of what people are trying to strive to that is so quite frankly not only just unobtainable but can't be continued does that worry you I mean it worries me so much and also in the future if I want to raise children in this world yeah yeah I mean I think as much as we've got that on the rise we do also have people that are shouting about it and pulling it down and giving us real honest profiles and and relatable kind of commentary like the Chesie Kings and the Megan Rose Lane and you know these kind of women that just show us what their lives look like that aren't curated and you know that show us the rolls on their bellies and we'll just laugh and be silly but then also show up and be a boss. It's showing that women can be both and, and and all of the things in between. And so I think that's, we've got the rise of that, but we've got to remember that Instagram is a platform that is built to promote more of aesthetically pleasing content. So if a picture of a Kardashian goes viral, it's because that's what people have double tapped more of because that's what works there. Mm. It might not necessarily work on Twitter, right? Mm. Or that kind of thing might not work that much on YouTube when we want to hear more of someone's personality. And really, they are all about aesthetics. So we've got to understand that that's what it's used for. And like every app, it changes and evolves and is an ever-growing ecosystem that isn't going to last forever. It's going to evolve into something else. And it's just interesting to see what will come off the back of it, really. Um and I'm just, you know, hope that people that I see that are similar to myself and um, the people that I look up to just continue to, to give us that opposed opinion. So last year you have spoken about being approached to go on Love Island and you made the conscious decision not to do it. Was one of like your reasons because you felt that therefore you wouldn't have the control of how you would have been perceived to the public because obviously that's an incredible, you know, the machine of Love Island, of TOWIE, of all the things that have come from it, even X Factor in a way, you know, if we want to talk, you know, Big Brother, where, where did this all start? You know, Big Brother was the first reality yeah. show pretty much that came onto the British screens and that was what, 20 years ago now? Whoa. You know, the Love Island machine, which has a lot of huge backlash due to its mental health connection. What was one of the main reasons that you wanted to turn it down? 
I think you just said it. I think that definitely played into my decision-making of not being able to have that control and maybe just becoming, you know, a function for more clicks. And I didn't want to be that person. I've worked too hard over the last 10 years to pioneer a path, not for me, but for my nieces and for my younger self and for girls that will look up to me to see themselves differently, that I could just be teared down in maybe one decision that gets produced to look like something it isn't and goes out to millions of people on ITV. I was like, yes, high risk, there could be high reward. I could go in and get a million followers and do really good. And therefore I can be in the rooms that I really wanna be in a lot quicker and have brands notice me a lot quicker. But that risk could also go horribly wrong and everything I've worked for could be destroyed. And that credible, and credible fame is so different to the reality TV star fame that happens overnight and doesn't have any grounding to it. So that, you know, it took me a while to get to that decision. I had to write them like some big extensive pros and cons lists. But I was like, actually, you know what? I'm in it for the long game and that's fine. And I think that's it. I think that the issue with reality TV for me as someone who has also been in the celebrity world but behind the camera is that there is a very, very short shelf life for these people who are coming off these shows. Okay, you've got your followers, you've got your clothing deals, you've got this, you've done your endorsements, you've bought yourself a house, you've bought your mum a house. But longevity-wise... It's yeah. so short-spanned because next year there's going to be another epi- another season. The mm. year after that, where's your relevance? And that's what worries me for these people is yeah. that, you know, do we do people remember the, the contestants from four years ago, three years ago, last year, some of them? No. That, it's, it's a weird little rat race microcosm that's been built into the greater rat race of life and And then what do you do well quite not 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 even literally to you know as a work decision but if you know that by becoming a more dramatic version of yourself you can make more money be more relevant how far are you willing to go to be that person is the worrying thing do you feel like with this filtered reality instagram and also shows like love island or towie or you know kardashians even have also given us a slightly unhealthy relationship towards food because the aesthetic that is in general displayed on these shows is not realistic you know a lot of these bodies the kardashians for example those bodies they were not born with those bodies those bodies have been surgically enhanced your waist to bum ratio, doesn't matter how many squats you do, is not going to look like that. Do you feel like that's now producing a whole other ball game with young girls starving themselves or keeping themselves on incredibly restricted diets, over-exercising, putting loads of pressure on themselves? Yeah, absolutely, because they're not claiming it. They're not being honest. And they need to tell us. There needs to be a massive disclaimer that what you're watching now isn't true or has been manufactured um, because it's so hard where the lines are blurred to not put that pressure on yourself if it hasn't been overtly said. Because although we can say, you know, guys on Instagram, it's not real. It's so easy to get like lured into the trap of thinking like, oh my God, why am I comparing myself to this person? Even though you know it's not real, they're still perpetuating this idea of 
this is what's beautiful. And the thing is, surgery is so available now that, you know, young kids are getting lip, lip jobs like they are blow dries. I mean, it's just insane. And when you haven't even developed into what your body can be like, yeah. um, that's when it becomes really sad because you're already messing with that stuff. And you haven't even grown into, you know, it's, things are in trends, right? This is a beauty trend right now to have big lips. I remember I've got quite full lips. And back in the day when I was maybe 10 or 11, it was something that people would comment on as a disgusting thing. And so it's it, everything has its waves. And if we are, cha- honestly, if we are changing for what's in trend to be beautiful, we're going to be chasing beauty forever. And I don't want to be on that rat race. I've got other things to worry about and I don't think we should. And so I won't support and watch those shows. I just will in fact block that type of content because I don't want to see any of it. And I think that's what's important is taking charge of how you use your social media. If you need to block or mute things, block and mute them. Yeah, yeah. Create it for your own world and for your own vision. We didn't realize, I don't think it was going to get as destructive as it's becoming and so something has to give right now and i and it's us regaining control we give so much of ourselves away whether it's our data our privacy um even like as a public figure i give so much of my life away to my followers on insta stories now when since that's become a feature before it was like a one grid post maybe i'll post one every couple days insta stories now i'm posting every single day and i don't mind because i enjoy it but there's a certain level that I'll be like, that isn't for online, that's for me. And I cherish it. And so it's understanding like where where can we start mindfully consuming this stuff? You recently uh, joined the UN as one of their ambassadors, which is another incredible yeah. feat. Um, can you explain your involvement with them? Yeah, this is really new actually and really exciting and um, kind of crazy because... You know, I grew up thinking, whoa, that's a huge role. My dad really respected a lot of the UN's work. And so it was a very far-fetched dream. Um, So when I was asked to come on board for the UK, I was like, wow, this is really, really honestly like a dream come true. They're my kind of goals, right? Uh, And I was recognized because of the work that I do on the ground. And as somebody that's pioneered somewhat of a space in the fashion industry, and in the mental health world, they said, would you like to work with us? Because you've done it on a grassroots level. And the reason we wanted, they wanted to do that is because before you would have the celebrities that would work with them to bring awareness. And celebrities that maybe had been in like blockbuster award winning films. Whereas now people can't relate to just that. You, you seem so far from the normal person when mm. you're a Hollywood superstar if you're just every like a normal person like I am or you know I'm a part of the body with Gina Martin and Scarlett Curtis and Monroe Bergdorf um and these we're all just normal women that have basically built a career because of something that we believed in and we talk about it actively online and we are activists in our own rights so that's been a really great uh, opportunity to be a part of and I mean, it's all new and it's all starting. I just did something with their FGM campaign recently. And the campaign hashtag was draw the line on women that have undergone FGM, which in some African countries is still extremely prevalent. And it is a form of child, it's recognized by the UN as a form of child abuse. Wow. So, you know, I brought, shine some of my light onto that campaign that they had. And 
we have a briefing coming up to talk about the others. But basically they said, you know, you guys know more than anything in your little specialist um, bubbles what needs to happen. So how can we facilitate your activism in some way? So it's they're really incredibly supportive and we're kind of figuring out what we want to do with that. I'm so exciting to see what happens with yeah. all of that. So for someone that has achieved so much what are the next goals for you you obviously mentioned your youtube channel your docuseries instant fame yeah what else is coming up in your life so we have in on may 25th a 10k run which will you do with me i actually have spoken about this i might yes good (laughs) so sign up i'm gonna send you the link i expect you to sign up we already have nearly 400 women signed up to do it amazing already are, you, are we doing it in our underwear? You can. You don't oh, have to. Okay. You no, don't I'm have not. to. Okay. You can be clothed. Oh, you know. Listen, me. you're, like get, you're, getting, me, you're getting me to do a run again. That's as much as you're going to get out. Yeah. Of me. <laughs> <laughs> 10K run coming up in May 25th. We created, me and Bryony created the Celebrate You campaign, which is a 10K run. And we did that last year after the marathon and got over a thousand women to run it with us in their underwear or you know, some in sportswear with underwear on top. And we decided to bring it back. So May 25th, that's happening. Um, And obviously all the UN work and campaigns I'm going to be heading up this year. But also I'm just about producing more of my own stuff. Not just photo shoots like I was doing back in the day or social media content, but moving into the film and TV world. So the the documentary series came out and that was on YouTube and that was more like presenting and more informative documentary style but me and my partner are currently producing our first feature film so he has just written up the script we're about to get into pre-production and start the casting process and again it's just writing the kind of stories that we wish we had seen more of so that is really exciting i really i've ever since i got into modeling i wanted to move into acting but that wasn't for me at that point um because i was just so busy with the fashion world so now that's where the transition's going. I can't wait to see what happens. Mm. I always end my interviews with a few little quick fire questions. Uh-huh. My favorite snack in the entire world is a packet of crisps. Mm. What is your favorite flavor of crisps? Oh, okay. I could be basic and say cheese and onion, <gasps> but I do love a Thai sweet chili. Oh, so, okay. So Walker's sensations. Yeah. Okay, and cheese and onion walkers or any other brand? Um, I mean, anything cheese and onions. Interesting, I haven't had that answer. Really? It's so basic. anyone that I ask. Really? I mean, I love like... Salt and vinegar. Well, not just salt and vinegar. I love the dirtiest of them all, which is pickled onion Munster Munch. Oh, oh, yeah. (laughs) They And they get on your fingers. Oh, I love it. They're on your fingers. They're stuck in your teeth. They're oh, the best yeah. hangover snack. Yeah. Who are your three most desired dinner party guests and why? Um, Three most desired. Okay. Dead or alive? Okay. I would love to sit down with, obviously, Oprah. I'm sure everyone's <sighs> probably said that. But, you know, just purely networking because of I course. want her to be my friend. <laughs> and if a dinner date is what I have to do, I just want that energy to be around me. She's su- she is an anchor of my life without yeah. even realizing it. Like her podcasts, her shows, anything she does, I'm like, she's on brand. Not even 
it's in her essence she is who she is and she's always been consistent with that and i i just want her in my life uh david attenborough oh stop probably. i love him yeah I, I apparently someone was trying to get him to record every single word in the dictionary so that when he does oh, yeah. unfortunately pass we can still have his what like have his voice yeah. for everything yeah oh my god that's so creepy <laughs> I just think he's the most incredible just, man. Yeah, but the tones would be so weird. So it'd be like, I know. Once there. you <laughs> went to the park. It'd be so weird. But he is in, he is yeah. unreal. Yeah, I just like to sit down and listen yeah, to his like, stories yeah. of the world and mm. the adventures he's been on and what he's seen and how you know which species are extinct and what oh, is the rarest butterfly you've ever seen. Like he's such a rarity, like, David Attenborough. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the last person. Who's my, I need to find this guy's name. He's an incredible architect that I saw when I went to Japan. And I went to a place called the Naoshima Art Island and I went to the Chichu Museum. And the architect there, yeah, instantly became my favorite because it was a concrete building that had glass and steel. And the whole place was just made out of these beautiful materials. And it looked really uh, like brutalist but also was so cleverly made because wow. it had, um, you know, the glass ceiling was positioned in a way that the light at 3 p.m. would reach it to project onto this piece of art in the middle of that specific space in the room. And it was just so clever. And, it, you know, it was a Japanese well, The whole thing architect. was a work of art. Yeah, it wasn't just the art inside the room. The building was the art. The building was art. Yeah, um, his name is Tadeo Ando and he's a self-taught architect. Um and he yeah he just created some of the he's created some of the best work and so i'd love to understand his mind and what goes on fabulous what a lovely little trio of people what would be your last meal oh it would definitely have a chocolate fondant in the mix <laughs> we bond over that we do <laughs> i love them so much i'm obsessed with chocolate that's melted like i put yes. my chocolate bars in the microwave oh. not not to fully melt but they need to be like molten mm. oh this just because it so... just because chocolate changes its flavor slightly when it's melted and i just go into a whole different dimension and do you not <laughs> have like warm milk and put oh, chocolate it. bars oh, in oh, it don't. oh that sounds nice yeah it's so yummy and then you, or you can oh. make a hot chocolate from it okay Mm, definitely have that of absolutely some sort. um and then something i mean i don't eat much meat anymore but maybe some kind of really beautiful meat like a nice steak yeah or, but yeah. like or like something that was really soft that fell off the bone oh okay that like kind a nice of, sort of lamb shank or... maybe yeah but that sounds really bad because i really don't eat meat anymore that much but if it was my last meal guilty pleasure you're gonna be gone so you know and this is the last meal (laughs) right so i don't have to worry worry about about feeling (laughs) like a a not very sustainable person in the world and finally what is the one thing that you try and do every day to help with your mental health i mean just something simple like make my bed I know that sounds really like overlooked and a bit like basic because everyone makes their bed but or maybe not you know, that, that, like that was instilled it. in me as a child. Yeah. I had to make my bed every morning. And in adult life, if my bed is in disarray, life is in disarray. Absolutely. I think it is, I don't know what it is. You're absolutely right. It's so simple, but it carries so much. 
Mm. I think it's something possibly to do with the fact that you've ended your sleep, night is done, it's a new day, and you close that chapter, you're sort of closing the sheets, this is how I see it, and you start your day. Mm. And then you, at the end of the day, you get into bed, you open the sheets, Mm. and you go to sleep. I think it's so important. I call it the reset. Yeah. I just like to reset my bed. I like to reset, you know, putting everything away, organizing everything for the day and then going. And like at night I reset again. I take everything out of my handbag. I put it in its spots. And then, you know, I go and take my makeup off, cleanse my face, brush my teeth, get into bed. Like, And I love those little reset moments because mm. if I don't do it, if I sleep with my makeup on, and it sounds really silly, but like if I don't make my bed in the morning and I've not, you know, unpacked my bag the night before, so I've shoved everything in one. I'm probably forgetting something. Probably forgot to brush my teeth. Haven't brushed my hair. You know I'm going through it. (laughs) (laughs) Jada, thank you so much for joining me today. It has been so great speaking with you and just hearing how your mind works. I think you're inspirational. I think you're aspirational. I think that you are just going to do such good for this world so thank you so much Mm. you can follow jada on social media at jada cesar and subscribe to her youtube channel which is under the same name jada Mm -hmm. cesar thank you for listening and joining us this week please remember to subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend and another and maybe another don't forget you can follow all the crazy sexy antics on our social media channels Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Crazy Sexy Food. Until next time, goodbye. Mm-hmm.